Good day, everyone, and welcome to today's ProAssurance Second Quarter Earnings Conference Call. As a reminder, today's call is being recorded. For opening remarks and introductions, I will now turn the call over to Mr. Frank O'Neill. Please go ahead, sir. Thank you, Corrine. Uh, good morning, everyone. Thanks for taking time to be part of our call to discuss our solid results for the quarter and six months into June 30, 2010. We issued a news release Wednesday afternoon reporting our results for those periods, and that release, along with our SEC filings, including the 10Q filed this morning, are designed to provide you with important detailed information about our company, as well as disclosures regarding forward-looking statements. We are explicitly identifying statements we make today that deal with projections, estimates, and expectations as forward-looking statements subject to various risks. These risks could cause our actual results to differ materially from current projections or expectations. We will not undertake and expressly disclaim any obligation to alter or update forward-looking statements, whether as a result of new information or future events, unless required by law or regulation. A note about our 10Q, this is the first filing with the XBRL coding mandated by the SEC. We're anxious to learn if you find that to be helpful. The content of the call is accurate only on Thursday, August 5th, 2010, the date of first broadcast. If you're reading a transcript of this call, please know we did not authorize it and have not reviewed it for accuracy. Thus, it could contain factual or transcription errors that could materially alter the intent or meaning of our statements. As a final reminder, we're going to reference non-GAAP items in our call today. Please refer to our recent filing on Form 10-Q and our recent news release for a reconciliation of those non-GAAP numbers to their GAAP counterparts. On the call today is our Chairman and CEO, Stan Starnes, our President, Vic Adamo, Chief Financial Officer, Ned Rand, and Chief Underwriting Officer and Actuary, Howard Friedman. We're going to start with Stan. Thanks, Frank. This quarter's quite positive results, and our discussion of industry trends will be familiar to most of you. There are no real surprises in our business or our investments. That's a reflection and a result of the disciplined approach we take to our business. In this part of the market cycle, we're maintaining our long-term focus on the strength of our balance sheet and the depth of our commitment policyholders through our pledge of treated fairly. While there were no surprises in the results, there were a few moving parts, and we'd like to review those with you. Thanks, Stan. I want to remind everyone on the call, the results we're discussing today combine PICA with our historical book of business. And for the past year, we've been breaking out PICA results, but the second quarter marks the one-year anniversary of PICA becoming part of ProAssurance, so we can now give you comparable period-over-period -period data. So with that, I'm going to ask Ned to walk us through the financials. Ned? Thanks, Frank. Although our focus is on the bottom line, I'm going to start with the top line that we can help you understand the significant line items in the income statement. Gross written premium was $99 million in the quarter, down 12% year over year, and is at $256 million for the six months, a decline of 4% year over year. To be sure, part of this is the effect of a competitive market, but approximately half of the quarter's decline in gross premium and close to 90% of the year-to-date decline is due to the continued offering of two-year policies in a key market. Net earned premiums provide a more normalized view of our premium trend, which is where I'd really like to focus your attention. 
As we discussed in late 2008 and early 2009, when we first began to write these two-year policies, they are credited as written premium at inception. So they increase gross written premium initially, but they are earned on a pro rata basis over the course of the policy. This makes the net earned number a more meaningful number in terms of actual premium working its way into the earnings stream. To help you quantify that effect, two-year policies accounted for $1.6 million of our gross written premium in the second quarter of 2010 and $5.7 million for the six months ended June 30th. That compares to $7.1 million and $12.5 million in gross written for the same periods in 2009. These are not huge numbers in the overall scheme of things, but understanding their effect on the top line and their relationship to net earned premium gives you some perspective. In looking at the net earned numbers, you can see that we're, we're at $125 million for the quarter, down 2% year over year, and at $249 million for the six months which is a 7% increase year over year. The most significant piece of the increase in net earned premium for the six-month period is the addition of PICA. The net investment result is down 5% in the quarter, despite having more funds to invest, because of the same decline in interest rates affecting every other investor. For the six months, net, the net investment result is up 8% year over year because of the improvement last quarter and the results from our investment in unconsolidated subsidiaries. We'll note that we recognized approximately $3.5 million in net investment losses during the quarter. Here's why. While we did sell some securities during the quarter at a gain, we also decided to exit a group of high-yield asset-backed securities. In accordance with applicable accounting guidance, this change in intent results in our recognizing the unrealized losses on these securities through our income statement as an other than temporary impairment. The result is a net investment loss for the quarter and for the first half of the year. The expenses ticked up a bit in the quarter, and there are several moving parts here. The majority of the increase relates to PICA, and there are two primary components. First, purchase accounting resulted in our elimination of PICA's deferred acquisition costs at the time of the acquisition. So we have been building this balance back up over the last four quarters, resulting in a buildup of expenses. In addition, as we move PICA over to our accounting processes, we reduced the amount of operating expenses they were allocating to losses, known in the industry as unallocated loss adjustment expenses, to be more in line with our historical practices. In addition to these items, we had a few one-time personnel-related expenses. Our current accident year loss ratio in the quarter was 84.5%, a three-point increase over the same quarter a year ago. Net favorable loss reserve development was $37.5 million in the quarter, essentially level with last year's second quarter. That favorable development reduced our net loss ratio to 54.6% in the quarter. Year-to-date, favorable reserve development is $62.5 million, compared to $55.5 million in the same period last year. That reduced the net loss ratio for the year-to-date to 59.2%. This brings us to the bottom line. For the quarter, operating income was $42 million and net income was $40 million. For the first six months of 2010, operating income was $82 million and net income was $78 million. Return on equity was 9.1% for the quarter, up a bit from last quarter's 8.8%. ROE stands at 9% for the year to date. Book value is $56.31, up 7% year to date from $52.59 at year end, and up from $54.07 at March 31st of this year. We were active in share repurchases during the quarter, spending $39.2 million to buy 
674,000 shares of stock. We will continue to prudently allocate our capital and share buybacks and debt retirement as opportunities present themselves and still give preference to using capital for an acquisition. Frank? Thanks, Ned. I'm sure we're going to get back to you for some questions during the Q&A. I'm going to ask Howard now to weigh in on the state of the market and on current loss trends. Thanks, Frank. The market continues to be challenging, and it's tough to add new premium right now. We did write about $2.7 million of new business in the quarter, which helped offset some of the business loss to competitors who were very aggressive during the second quarter. Perhaps the big story is not that the market is aggressive, but that we retained 89% of our consolidated medical professional liability book, down one point from last year's second quarter. Given the level of discounting going on in the market, that tells us a lot about the confidence our insureds have in ProAssurance and the value they place on the coverage and service we provide. Renewal pricing on expiring premiums showed no change during the quarter as compared to a 3% reduction in the second quarter of 2009 and a 2% reduction last quarter. While quarter-to-quarter -quarter pricing changes may fluctuate based on the mix of business, I certainly see the price stabilization as a positive sign. Overall, we're encouraged with the level of pricing and loyalty. When the market turns, we think that will place us in an especially good position to retain existing business and find new business from competitors who may be forced to raise prices to make up for years of pricing aggressively. Ned mentioned our favorable development in the quarter. Let me give you a bit more color. The development is largely from accident years 2004 through 2008 and is the result of the continuation of fairly stable loss trends. Severity is moving higher, but at a manageable rate of 4% to 5% in most areas and at levels that are lower than we forecast when our reserves were established. Our loss ratio was three points higher in the quarter than in the year ago period and 1.6 points higher comparing the six-month period of 2010 to 2009. This difference has more to do with the 2009 loss ratio than to what we're booking in 2010. The second quarter of 2009 was the first time that PICA had been incorporated in our results. As we discussed with you in the third quarter conference call last year, we then began to bring the PICA reserving process more in line with our historical reserving practices and have increased the loss ratio for PICA's current accident year to more closely match the cautious approach that we use. That accounts for approximately half of the increase for both periods, and the remainder is the result of normal changes in our mix of business. As part of our regular monitoring of rate adequacy and the underlying frequency and severity, we are being especially mindful of potential changes in jurisdictions such as Illinois and Georgia, where we've recently seen tort reform overturned. Frank? Thanks, Howard. I know y'all are just back from New York and London where you've been meeting with reinsurers. Anything you can share on that ahead of our uh, October 1st renewal? Sure, Frank. We continue to have a high level of interest from reinsurers, and we don't expect that to change given the success we achieve in defending our insurers. As far as the broad outlook, the reinsurers have had a profitable run over the past few years in medical professional liability, just as the primary insurers have. But I think they, too, know the cycle always turns, so they're being very diligent in scrutinizing the pricing and underwriting on underlying risks. To me, they seem especially mindful that many of the companies that started up in the middle of the decade are just now entering their first real round of serious claims on business they acquired at very competitive prices. We're not the subject of their concern, and we're always looking to improve our reinsurance terms, so we will be working on that during the next couple of months. 
Frank. Thanks, Howard. Stan, will you sum up the quarter and then we'll take questions. Thanks, Frank. In my mind, the summary for the quarter is much like the hot Alabama weather this time of year. Constant, predictable, and much the same as this time last year. We continue to be disciplined in what we do and how we do it, and we continue to build the strength of our balance sheet and prepare for the inevitable turn in the market. At the same time, we're determined to manage capital wisely and buy back shares when the market gives us the appropriate opportunity. We're exploring other ways to put that capital to use, and given our track record, I think you should have every confidence that when we do spend the money you entrust us to manage, we'll do so wisely. One final comment, Frank, on an accomplishment that underscores both our commitment to extraordinarily high standards and our commitment to deliver the finest possible services to our insurers. The ProAssurance Risk Management Department has recently been awarded accreditation with commendation by the Accreditation Council for Continuing Medical Education. Less than 10% of the nation's 2,200 accredited providers receive this highest designation from the ACCME. And I want to salute our medical director, Dr. Hayes Whiteside, Karen Everett, Liz Brott, and the incredibly talented team of people who work with them throughout our organization. Frank? Thanks, Stan. Corrine, we're going to open the line for questions now. Certainly, sir. The question and answer session will be conducted electronically. If you'd like to ask a question, please do so by pressing the star key, followed by the digit 1 on your touchtone telephone. If you are using a speakerphone, please make sure your mute function is turned off to allow your signal to reach our equipment. Once again, that is star one to ask a question. We'll pause for just a moment. We'll take our first question from Amit Kumar with McQuarrie. Uh, good morning and uh, congrats uh, on the quarter. Uh, just quickly going back to the discussion on capital management, uh, you mentioned share buyback and debt. Uh, first of all, I'm just wondering, uh, did, did you buy back any stock in, uh, in, in third quarter to date? Uh, we did, Amit. You know, we go into a blackout fairly early uh, after the end of each quarter, but uh, during the time when our window was open, we bought back 36,739 shares for $2.2 million. Okay, that's that's helpful. And and on that topic, uh, you, you, what are your thoughts on 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 a special dividend going forward? I know you you view it as excess capacity, you know, versus excess capital. Uh, just trying to understand your thoughts on that a bit better. Hey, Ahmed, it's Ned. Um, you know, it certainly we don't we don't ever take anything off the table, but I would say that if you were ranking our preferred uses uh, or, or ways to, to deal with that excess capital, that a special dividend would be toward the bottom. Got it. But we never we never say never. Uh, that's uh, that's very helpful. Uh, just uh, moving on in terms of uh, the state of market, uh, I'm trying to reconcile. On one side, you're saying that. Renewal pricing did not change versus minus 2% in Q1 2010. And at the same time, there is this discussion on challenging market conditions where it's tough to add uh, new business. Do, do you think this Q2 rate is, is somewhat of an aberration, or do you think 
that this is the bottom. Uh, Mrs. Howard, uh, no, I'm not. I'm not calling the bottom. I'm not foolish enough to do that. Uh, no, I, I think it's. Um, I think it's just, to some extent, um, a reflection of what we've been saying and seeing. Uh, we we said, uh, you know, last year we had a uh, a reduced level of price reduction as compared to the year before, and uh, it was four percent down in the first quarter, two percent down, and and we. Uh, you know, we, we feel that it's starting to stabilize, but whether it's going to be, you know, small negative or zero or, or small positive, I, I think that's the kind of range we're talking about, uh, not, not any kind of uh, dramatic inflection point. I think it's the, the difference between the zero that we had, uh, and, and we're very happy with it, but the zero change we had in the second quarter and the minus two and the in the first quarter is as much a reflection of the mix of business and the particular accounts and states and, and things like that as compared to any kind of broad market change. Well, but at the same time, you talk about competition, and I'm just wondering if you look at the industry, uh, probably they're not making money on the underwriting side. Is that is that fair? And if that is the case, why wouldn't their rates be somewhat you know, more realistic than what they might be charging? Well, I think every company has a, a view of, of the marketplace and loss costs and, and uh, you know, what, what they can do in terms of pricing and also what they're looking for in terms of a, a target return. Uh, you know, uh, uh, some companies who are not uh, looking for the same level of return could legitimately price it at a different uh, price level than, than we do. Um, we're very confident in the book of business that we have and, and what we think the pricing should be on that business. And when we look at new business, we have we, we bring that expectation to the new business as well. So I, I think reasonable people can differ on, on the same accounts. What we see a lot of times is, is pricing that's so far away from where we are that it's hard to understand or consider it to be reasonable. Okay, that's helpful. And, and final question, and I will read you after this. Uh, in terms of the discussion on, on the two-year policy terms, uh, the two-year policies versus the, the usual, first of all, what, it, it's a small portion of your book. I'm just wondering, you know, you mentioned there was one, uh, one region in 2008 where you offered this, and I'm just trying to understand that this a bit better uh, is this uh, was this a one-off thing, or was this more related to the market conditions at that time, or did the insured ask for a two-year policy? Maybe just explain that a bit better as to uh, what led to you know you writing the two-year policies uh, you know as opposed to the year. It's it's a uh, a program that that we implemented. It wasn't. Uh something that was specifically requested by our policyholder base. Uh, we, we did it from the perspective of being quite comfortable with the particular market, uh, with our pricing and with our book of business. Uh, it, it helps us to stabilize the marketplace from our perspective. It also provides a little bit of benefit to, uh, to our insureds. And it provides us internally with a, a little bit of a reduction of, of workload and, and marketing effort uh, once an insured is, is on that two-year policy. Uh, we expect to continue it uh, where we're doing it, uh, but at the same time, we're currently not looking to expand it uh, geographically. 
and in the loss trends better than your overall book? With respect to these policies? Um, yes. No, I, I, I wouldn't. I, we, we have not handpicked the policies or the policy holders uh, that are are involved in this. I would think that, uh, or I would say that the the business that is eligible for for this based on the geography is business that is uh, quite stable and, and has produced very good results for us. Got it. Thanks, thanks so much for the answers. Okay. We'll take our next question from Mark Hughes with SunTrust. Thank you very much. Ned, did you say the uh, with the PICA, the shift in expenses, that was moving some from LAE into operating expenses? Yeah, yeah. Taking, they, they were allocating a higher portion of expenses historically to unallocated loss adjustment expenses than we do. And so it shifted dollars out of out of the loss ratio into the expense ratio, as it were. Do you have any specific numbers on that, the impact in the quarter? Yeah, hold on one second. I'll get it for you. Then I'll ask another question. Um, in Illinois and Georgia, when you see those uh, uh, decisions or the uh, tort reform overturned, do you see an immediate impact on pricing, or does it take some time to, to flow through? Uh, market stand, you, you don't see an immediate impact on pricing. It takes some time for the market all for it to uh, flow through. As you know, uh, we don't uh, bank on tort reform until the highest court in the state declares it constitutional. Right. So our practices will not be changed by the tort reform revocation that is our internal practices. What you will see uh, in the fullness of time in those states is an increase in settlement demands, and that will likely lead to an increase in settlement, and right. that likely will have consequences in pricing but it's not instantaneous. Right. And then, uh, Howard, I think you would describe the continuation of the modest loss trends. Any, what are your latest thoughts on frequency? Yes, uh, frequency is, is still, from, from our perspective and our data, frequency is still flat and, and really has been now, in our view, for about 18 months or so, no longer declining, uh, but not increasing either. And, and this is you know, an overall picture across our book of business. Right. Mark, hey, it's Ned. Going back to your earlier question, it's, it's about an $800,000 shift, um, but there's also part of that 800 then gets potentially capitalized with deferred acquisition costs, so what actually is hitting through the expense line, I don't have handy, but the, the shift from ULE to, to expense was about $800,000. Okay, thank you. Moving on to Michael Naninzi with Oppenheimer. Hey, good morning. It's actually Ray Ardella on behalf of Mike. Good morning. Um, good morning. Uh, the first question, I guess, for Howard. Did you mention um, reserve releases maybe from the PICA business? or do, I know you guys don't split that out anymore, but do you have that number? Uh, I think we're going to say that's part of the overall business that we've combined, Ray. We didn't wouldn't break out, for example, um, neurosurgical versus pediatrician. So we look at the, the PICA insureds as podiatric physicians or doctors of chiropractic, and we wouldn't break out a specialty there either. Right. Uh, just just to add, um, you're going to see the, uh, the quarterlies when they come out, and you'll see that it's minimal, if anything. 
Okay, great. And then I guess for Ned, can you talk a little bit about the um, the tax rate in the quarter? I know it's a little bit higher than your run rate, and there was some. Uh, I think there was some adjustment for business and life insurance, but I was wondering yeah. if the rest of the the increase was maybe uh, your allocation to munis or something else. Um, you know, we we did lighten up on munis during the quarter uh, by about 150 million dollars, but it really wasn't enough, and the timing was such that it did not have a big impact on on the effective tax rate. Uh, the the big impact on the effective tax rate is the is the redemption of some business owned life insurance. We had about 16 million dollars of of our business owned life insurance portfolio that had a stable value wrap on it, and given where the markets were and, and where that stable value wrap hit. Um, economically, it made sense to take the tax penalty um, related to that to that business-owned life insurance, cash it in, and reinvest the proceeds. And that that resulted in about a 1.3 million dollar tax increase. Okay, thanks. And, uh, and then, there are other, there are other moving parts. There were some increases in state income taxes and some other things, but the, the biggest piece is that is the business-owned life insurance. Okay, great. And then I guess, um, can you just talk a, a little bit more about your, your current capital position and I guess how long are you willing to, to hang on to your excess capital? Do you have a sort of a time frame in mind? And then, and then maybe a, a follow-up to that, Vic, can you maybe give us your thoughts on how important an A rating is for you guys and given your current line of business? Ray, I'm confident that, that our time horizon is longer than yours. <laughs> um, you know, we, we take a pretty long term view of the business. Um, we, we do recognize that we have this capital. We are we are constantly looking for opportunities to put that capital to work and, and we are buying back stock in what we think is a is a prudent manner. Um, I don't know that we have a, a deadline uh, in place. I think it's a, a current evaluation of the opportunities that we see on the horizon and, and then making decisions based on that. Um, okay, thanks. And to answer your question on rating, uh, also, you know, we're very proud of our A ratings with Best and Fitch and to be named to the Ward's 50 for the fourth consecutive year. And, and they're, they're important to the organization both to show our financial stability to the insureds in the market. I think as we said in the past, uh, operating uh, with the primary part of our business, the difference between an A- minus and an A is probably minimal. On the other hand, as we look forward uh, to serving other markets, getting more into ancillary-type products that are more program-oriented, having an A becomes important there because the, the brokers and the folks who deal with that business uh, do make a distinction between an A and an A-. minus. So, well, I guess I'd say it's important to us, not essential, but, but important. Okay. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Ray. Ladies and gentlemen, again, if you'd like to ask a question, star one on your telephone keypad. We'll take a follow-up question from Mark Hughes. The uh, shift you've seen, early shift, uh, from consolidation of small practices with bigger groups, um, I know that has been something of a trend, but has healthcare reform stimulated any more activity on that front? Mark, it's Stan. Uh, I think we're going to see an ongoing consequence of health care reform, some of which we can't specify, uh, some of which is predictable. I think part of the predictable consequences include uh, a migration of physicians, um, larger groups to some sort of hospital umbrella, uh, 
reported this spring that 50% of the physicians in the United States now work for a hospital or a hospital-affiliated organization. Uh, there are a number of reasons for that having to do with demographics, reimbursements, but health care reform is also part of the reason for that. We think that will continue, uh, and we anticipate having products that will appeal to that and accommodate those changes. And, you know, we, we went through a period of integration back in the 90s. Uh, it was not permanent. It was probably a little overblown at the time, probably essentially economics-driven. Uh, this integration, in our view, that's taking place now uh, is likely permanent and irreversible. Uh, and it's going to create challenges and great opportunities for organizations like ours. Okay, thank you. Moving on to Mike Grasher with Piper Jaffrey. Thank you. Uh, good morning. A uh, couple of questions. Um, since the, uh, one of the one of your public competitors have been taken out, uh, have you seen any sort of change in terms of expectations of sellers uh, from a valuation perspective? No, that's uh, the answer to that is no. We have not seen any expectations, but who knows whether their expectations will change or will not change. I think every transaction has to be closely analyzed on its own terms. Uh, this space is so unique uh, and it's also limited that I think it's easier to, to analyze each transaction on its own terms and what's appropriate for that transaction. Um, and I think a disciplined approach to uh, M&A activity results in a very uh, transaction-specific pricing level. Okay, that makes sense. Um, and then uh, you spoke about, I think it was a 2.7 million of new business in the quarter. Um, uh, I guess not a material amount relative to the entire portfolio, but just curious as to maybe what states uh, you're, you're picking that up uh, in, and then uh, I guess secondarily, what states maybe are offering the, uh, the best opportunities here? Uh, Mike, that's really spread across our entire book of business. I don't know that we could single out or would single out a particular state. If we found a honey pot, I'm not sure that we'd direct the competition to it. Uh, you know, as far as specialties, I think it's, it's spread across that. It's really a, a result of a very focused and targeted effort on the part of our agents who are out uh, looking for new business. It's important to them. It's important to us. And they're uh, reacting to the efforts of Jeff Bowlby, our uh, senior VP for sales and marketing, his staff, who have given them direction as to the business that we think we can write in, in places we can be most uh, competitive. And then uh, just to follow up on that, in the previous question, do you see any opportunities to pick up any business uh, with that recent transaction? And so, Howard, uh, I, I think there, there may well be opportunities anytime that there's disruption in the marketplace. Uh, of any type, there are opportunities, and particularly when you have a company that physicians have been associated with for 30 years, uh, you know, and, and there's a change, there will inevitably be 
relationships that are broken, uh, people that may no longer be with the company that uh, insureds or administrators are used to dealing with, uh, changes in the way that the acquirer looks at the business, prices it, underwrites it, and so forth. So yeah, we're, we're, we're very uh, attuned to that. We've seen it over the years in different locations, and we've been able to take advantage of that in some cases. It just depends on, on how it turns out there. Okay, thank you for that. And then just a final housekeeping question. Uh, statutory capital, do you have a number? Yeah, just one second. I think it's around $1.3 billion. Okay, thank you for that. And, uh, 1.2 to 1.3. I don't have a, an exact number in front of me. Okay, so $1.3 billion roughly. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mike. Our next question will come from Jay Wilson with Lee Munder Capital. Morning, Jay. Good morning, guys. Um, you know, just a question on on the pricing cycle. You guys are willing to walk away from business, or you think you know some business is not being written at profitable levels? I guess at what point do you think some of these players that are writing the business at at levels that you deem unprofitable start to hit have reserve charges? You know, like what kind of time frame are we looking at here where you guys with excess capital and a strong balance sheet, you know, can either pick up some of those guys or pick up some of their clients when, when their clients start to realize that, you know, this guy might not be able, be able to pay my claims and you know, yeah. two years down the road or whatever. Jay, you're, uh, it sounds like you're asking us to call the bottom, and I can tell you we're all looking around here at each other kind of saying who wants to answer that. And, uh I guess it, it's going to be hard to, to uh, call the bottom, but everybody seems to end up looking at Howard, so we're going <laughs> we're to make it. Well, you know, the I guess you go back to the, the life cycle and the business, and typically it's you know three to five years till you're closing out the the bulk of your claims from any given policy year, particularly, and towards the later end of that time period for any of the more serious claims that are going to go to trial. Uh, so it, it does take a while, and I guess we've been seeing what we think is uh, pretty aggressive pricing for at least the last couple of years. Uh, you know, when you look back over the decade, the market really started to, to firm up in 2000. By the beginning of 2002, it was quite quite hard, and um, and and remained that way probably for about two years. But beginning in about 2005 or so, the combination of of the startup companies and, and a little bit less pressure on some of the more established companies that had taken their reserve charges and, and, and moved on, started to, to loosen things up a bit. But it's really been the last two or two or three years that things have been very competitive. So I would think that we're, we're getting there. I mean, it, it's very hard to call a particular time period. And, you know, one of the uh, analysts that I had seen recently said that the only way that the market's going to harden is when calendar year results start to uh, deteriorate because many companies really are, are more concerned with the calendar year than the accident year. That's not our view, but uh, we, we've seen it in the past. So it's, I, I think it's a little ways to come. What do you, what do you think current business ROEs are right now? For whom? <laughs> well, you know, for you guys, you know, you're putting a policy on the books. I mean, what do you... What do you think the return is on that business today? Well, our, our approach, and, and we, we're very consistent about this, and not only in what we say but what we do, is that you know we're looking for the 13% after tax, and that's that's how we 
price. That's how we underwrite, and, and that's what we think we're doing at any given point in time. And, and that's based on current investment yields, and it's based on assumptions that we make in the pricing model. Uh, so I, I guess, you know, from that, that's what we try to do every day. All right, thanks. Jay, I would, I would just mention that that's also based on a, on a that pricing model assumes a one-to-one -one premium to surplus ratio. So it's okay. on an allocated capital basis for the business we're writing. Okay, thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, as a final reminder, that is star one to ask a question. We'll move on to Beth Malone with Wonderlich. Okay, thank you. Good morning. Um, okay. Hi. Uh, just a question on, the, on, you know, the competitive environment that you guys are talking about. In the case of uh, ACAP being acquired by the doctors group, there's a lot of overlap with ACAP in some of your markets. And um, the doctors group is not a public company, so the assumption is that their pricing behaviors and their expectations of return on the business they write is probably not going to be as stringent as a public company like yours. So my question is, do you see this acquisition actually creating more competition in some of those markets that you operate in, that you overlap with ACAP? No, it, the only, this is Stan, Beth, the only way we'll know that is come back in two or three years and, and analyze it at that time. What I can tell you is that uh, we don't seek to differentiate ourselves or distinguish ourselves on the basis of price. Uh, 62 years of living, it taught me that you usually get what you pay for. And our goal is to provide our insureds with protection, both financial protection, reputational protection, uh, first-rate risk management, and offer a product that's unexcelled in the marketplace deliver that product to them at a fair price. And I think as long as we continue to do that, uh, we don't need to worry about anybody but ourselves. Okay. And then um, your expansion uh, strategy, are, are you looking – there's a, some markets that you all have not been in in the past, especially on the West Coast. Is there thoughts of – any interest in expanding out that way, and is there any way to do that without making an acquisition? Well, of course, uh, our pike operation writes in California today in a very uh, significant way. We have a significant book of business in Nevada. We're looking at uh, any opportunity that presents itself uh, in our, both our historical geographic market and new geographical markets. Uh, the typical way we've expanded is through merger and acquisitions, but we're not foreclosed to other uh, means of expanding. And I think you'll see other means of expansion uh, develop in the coming years because of the structural changes in health care. So the Health Care Reform Act could create opportunities? Sure, absolutely. It absolutely it, it will create opportunities because... Uh, it, it's going to place, in my view, a premium on size, dexterity, uh, and ability to navigate the difficult waters. Uh, you know, the, the, my own sense is, and others around this table, much less all of the country, may disagree with this, but uh, much of the low-hanging fruit has been picked. 
Okay. Um, all right, thank you. At this time, we have no further questions. All right, thank you, Corinne. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. We will speak to you again soon. Ladies and gentlemen, that does conclude today's conference. Thank you for your participation.